Hello and welcome to the Scottish Clans Podcast. I'm Clint. Thanks for joining me for part two as we discuss did feudalism give rise to the clan system. Now, if you listened to part one, you you already have heard my yes or no answer. That's a yes or no question. You heard my yes or no answer. And so what we're doing is continuing to develop the conversation about that. Now, before I go jumping headfirst into the rest of the portion of that recording, because all I did was I just took that, it was it ended up being long, so I just decided to make it into two episodes, and I'm just going to let you pick up with where I left off, where I decided to split that that episode. Before I do that, let me give a shout out to my sponsor, USA Kilts. If you are in the market at all for a kilt or anything of Celtic or specifically Scottish heritage, now they do, they're not relegated just to Scottish stuff, but they do specialize in kilts and Scottish heritage type things. And so go on over to usakilts.com if that interests you and if you're in that market. Also, if you just want to know some more things about how to wear kilts, um, the history of kilts, the history, some just general Scottish history, some Scottish culture things, they've got a great YouTube channel at USA Kilts and Celtic Traditions. So head over there and check out the YouTube channel as well. All right, so where I'm going to drop you off here is I'm just going to, we're going to pick up where I left off and to give you kind of a lead back into it so it's not so abrupt is I'm going to be discussing what I learned from R. Andrew McDonald's book, The Kingdom of the Isles, where he talks about a lot of these, how how did the the magnates, the, the, the leaders of the Gallic western seaboard of Scotland and the Isles, how did they interact with the rest of Scotland? And, we're, and he get, talks a lot about the time period where a lot of these Normans are coming into Scotland and, and how they existed side by side. So that's kind of where my head is at when when this recording picks back up. So hopefully it's not too disjointed, having just taken one recording, split it in two, and dropped the second half for this episode. But I think it's uh, I think it's a good conversation to have. And if you want to pick up this conversation and add any more of your thoughts, inputs, more questions, anything like that, go over to podbean.com. You can interact with me there for this episode on the comments at scottishclans.podbean.com. And, or you can go over to... You can go to Apple Podcasts and give me a rating there, or you can go to the Facebook group, but it's so big and it it's all I can do just to get time to put these episodes out that there's a lot of conversations that scroll by that I never see on that. And um, and so that's probably a better way is the podbean.com, the scottishclans.podbean.com, or you can email me at thescottishclans at gmail.com. That is the thescottishclans at gmail.com. So that's another good way to get a hold of me. Um, anyway, here, here it goes. Here's the rest of the um, episode from last time. The Normans just didn't come in and wholesale replace the native Gallic aristocracy. They did in some areas, but not throughout. It was not a thorough purge. All right. And, in, and, and nor am I convinced that these Normans were thinking of this as we're going looking at themselves like like the bruces weren't seeing themselves in this united coordinated effort with the cummins with with the the demoravias the freskins folks with with uh with these other these other norman incomers i don't think that there is that much unity between them 
I think they were really looking out for themselves as a kindred. And now if you want more on this, you know, who talks a lot about Normans in Ireland, that I think this is a, it's a pertinent discussion. So I mentioned clans and dynasties and Mike on there. He teams up a lot with Philip with Irish medieval history. And they have on that YouTube channel. And they talk a lot about this. And they, but they're getting into it like the Fitzgeralds and the Butlers and the, and the, the Burks. I, yeah. So anyway, that's, that's a, that's, I think go check that out. That's relevant to this conversation. So, um, but anyway, my point is that the Normans didn't just wholesale replace the native Gaelic. In some places they did, but in some places they didn't. And they, they are side by side and they're intermingling with each other. And so when, and, and I, let me throw something else out here too. In saying that the clan system did not originate with fe- Norman feudalism. I'm not trying to be some purist, some Scottish purist, who is like, no, that's all indigenous, and the Normans really didn't contribute very much. No, the Normans were super influential, and there might have been aspects of the clan system that were influenced by Norman feudalism or just the Norman culture, the, out, you know, maybe on a bigger scale than just the political organization of feudalism. And by the way, just for the record, feudalism is a very broad umbrella, huge. So there wasn't just one formula to call feudalism. All right. If you go throughout Europe, it looks different in different areas. And feudalism, and this is maybe, maybe needs to be said as a, like almost like a thesis statement in this episode. And I didn't organize it like that because I I wasn't thinking like that originally, but pay attention to this. This is, this is how I understand all this happened. The clan system, the kin-based society that existed in Scotland, specifically Gaelic-speaking Scotland. I don't think we know about the Picts, the Britons of Strathclyde, or the Angles of Northumbria to say whether they were kin-based or not, or to what degree they were or not, but for sure the Gales of Dalriada. Um, so the Normans come in, and this is already existing. By the time the Normans come in, the Gallic culture has overwhelmed these other groups in Scotland, specifically the Britons of Strathclyde. Well, I'm going to back up on that because that, th- them as a cultural unit, they, they linger for a while. But the Picts, for sure. So the Normans are coming into a place where probably, at a, at a time, probably, probably, maybe there's some super remote Highland Glens areas exceptions, but, but really G- Gallic culture has overwhelmed the Picts by this point. And so whatever was, and so, and I'm not going to leave it up, up to some other people to talk about like how much they mixed and all this other stuff. But this, but this kin-based society already existed. The Normans come in with their feudalism and you see a merging of these things. So there's not, guys, feudalism and the clan system are not mutually exclusive. And I have said this on Facebook post after Facebook post responding to people who come. That's why I'm doing this episode is because they're like, hey, feudalism came in and it replaced whatever the Celts are doing and then you get the clan system. No, no, they're not mutually exclusive systems. And so all this reading that I'm doing on the Campbells, the Campbells, they become the earls of Argyle in a feudal sense, but they're still the head 
of a kindred, a very large and well-emplaced and established kindred in Argyle. So there, there, so when a, uh, the Earl of Argyle calls men up to battle, and you could say this about many different chiefs of, of clans, especially in the Highlands, when they call their men up to battle, there's men who show up on that battlefield because they recognize this gentleman as the head of their kindred in a, in a kin-based society that goes back way before Norman showed up. But there's also people on that battlefield who answered the call of their feudal superior. Both are happening at the same time. I really want that out there. So that, that's true for the Campbells. It could be true for the McDonald's, the, for the, the Chisholm's, the Mackenzie's, the Macintoshes. I mean, go down the list of clans. Most of these major chiefs of these clans, and I know there is little clans and there is big clans, but even, even some of the little clans, their, their chief held some sort of position within the feudal system. So maybe it wasn't an, uh, an earl like the Earl of Argyle or the Earl of Ross, but maybe it was he's he's given this position of sheriff in this certain area. Well, that's that's not the sh sheriff isn't a kin-based society position. But this guy holds that position, holds a lot of political power through that, but can also summon men to a battlefield because he is the head of their kindred and he sees himself as such and they see him as such and that's why they showed up with their weapons. All right, and then there's people who showed up because. He's their feudal superior. Okay, so I just, I'm not going to beat that horse to death, but I, I really want people to understand that that's going on. And the feudalism is influencing. You have some of these um, Hebridean lords that are issuing coinage, or no, not coinage, but seals. They develop the seal, you know, like they're going to write something to somebody and they put their seal on it. And the seal actually shows them as a mounted knight. That was a very Norman thing. And so these are these are these are very Gallic lords, Gallic magnates. They their kindreds go way back before their their line goes way back before. Especially in the case of the McDonalds, which is the example that I'm using, and I'm getting this from R. Andrew McDonald in the Kingdom of the Isles. In case you want me to get super strict about my like citing my sources, but you see this, and I can't remember which one off the top of my head. But he's hit on his seal. He is depicted as a mounted knight. That was very Norman to, for him to per portray himself like that. And then the other part of the seal has a galley on it, which was more a Hebridean, Argyle, sea king type of imagery. So he's, he sees himself in, in more than one identity. So I think, I think the theme that runs through all of this is <laughs> stop trying to take history or anything else really and put it in these nice neat little organized boxes where it needs to fit nice and tidy like it doesn't need to and when we when we stop trying to do that i think the world opens up to us and gosh i could be talking about a lot of things right now but i'm just talking about scottish history so don't don't get all wrapped around the axle but um anyway so 
so yeah, we see the, this exchange of ideas and cultures and, and systems that are not mutually exclusive, okay? Feudalism and clan, the clan system existed side by side. Clan system did not evolve out of feudalism, but it, 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 it absorbed it. Feudalism adjusted to local social conditions. And so what you have is something in Scotland that looks different than it may look in Germany or Scandinavia. And I don't know a lot about those places, and so I'm not qualified to talk about that. But I did learn in my undergrad, nope, it was my graduate work, that that this was a, feudalism is a very broad umbrella and could ex- change and exist in many different forms and still be feudalism. All right. <clears throat> There's a couple other just quick points that I wanted to make about this. You know what? But before I do... I'm going to give a a little bit more diligent shout out to my sponsors, USA Kilts. They have awesome, high quality kilts. I have a kilt from them. I love wearing it. Not as much in the winter, which it is right now. I don't know when you're listening to this podcast, but right now it's winter. And, uh, but you know what? They're not as cold as you would think they are. They're not as cold as you would think. I have worn it in the winter. And it's not as cold as you think, but it's a very nice quality. It's a five, it's a five, uh, five yard kilt. Um, that's kind of like the medium quality and I have other stuff that goes with it and it's all of it. The kilt, the belt, the hose, the sporin, all of it's awesome. I love it. I love wearing it. I love showing people my connection to my heritage, which I know you're like, well, your last name sounds pretty Welsh to me. It's Edwards. And it is, and I love that part of my heritage too, but the Welsh don't have anything indigenous or native to Wales that I think is as cool as a kilt to wear. They don't. Sorry, I love my Welsh ancestors. I got a lot of them on my dad's side. Thick Welsh heritage there. But um, they, don't, they don't have... But, but you know what? You can get at, at usakilts.com. You can get a, a kilt with a Welsh tartan on it. Sure enough. And I think I have an episode where I talk about my thoughts on the fact that there are Welsh tartans. So go back and check that one out. But I could go to USA Kilts and get a kilt with an Edwards tartan. And I'm thinking about doing it someday. Um, I, my grandma's a Jones. In fact, that whole family tree is just a bunch of Welsh names. Edwards, Jones, Griffiths, Hughes, Evans. Go down, the, go down the list. They're all in my family tree. I have a lot of it on that side. But I love my connection to my Scottish ancestors too, to the McFarlands, to the Brodies, to the Boyds. Um, and so when I want to show that connection to the whole world, I wear my kilt. And you know what? Getting that kilt was awesome because USA Kilt's customer service is awesome. There's another reason why you should go there. High quality products, awesome customer service and free shipping in the U.S. So go get, the, go get your stuff from usakilts.com. That's their, their online storefront there. Um, they're, you, they have a good YouTube channel that has like really... So if you're going to get the stuff to wear, you want to know how to wear it, you want to know how not to wear it, go to their USA Kilts and Celtic Traditions YouTube channel. Go there and find out all the stuff you need to know. Everything, they are so good at anticipating questions about wearing this stuff. But they've also got stuff on on Scottish culture and history and all sorts of cool stuff on there. So go check them out at uh, USA Kilts and Celtic Traditions 
on YouTube or usakills.com to buy your stuff. All right. Here's another thing that we need to not get wrapped around the axle about is I, th- I think this causes people some serious trouble when, st- when understanding this, the subject of Scottish clans clearly is that they get surnames and kindred names. Once again, they're trying to put it in this nice, tidy little box and it doesn't work very well. And, and here's why maybe some people think that the feudalism brought by the Normans begat the clan system is because a lot of the names that we can trace, like, that, we, that we recognize today, like McPherson, like Mackenzie, like Mackay, um, like McFarlane, these, these names, most of the ones we recognize, with the exceptions I gave you before of Mackay and uh, Macduff, these, these names mostly originate post-introduction of the Normans. Most clan names that we recognize today don't, most, don't go back before the 1200s. Many, many of them, and I have tracked this down, I made a study, I did a spreadsheet, many of them, that the, the founder and the one who gives their name to the kindred, to the clan, is, live somewhere in the second half of the 1200s or early 1300s. Like a gigantic number of them. In fact, it's the Normans that tend to have the older surnames. Many of them, many of these Normans came into Scotland, invited by the Canmores, mostly. But they came into Scotland. Well, I should back up. David I, he wasn't a Canmore. He was pre-Canmore, wasn't he? Anyway, the point is, most of these Normans coming into Scotland already have their surnames. Um, Not the Stuarts. The Stuarts don't. They get that name in Scotland from the position that they're given. But a lot of them bring their names in with them. And so they had a thing for surnames. And that may have influenced some of these local native kindreds. And, and, and this is, I'm, so I'm going to present this not as historical fact. I'm going to maybe throw something out for you guys to study. And that is that... Like what, what, was it the Normans that actually brought the emphasis on surnames into Scotland and did that influence local kindreds? But I'm just looking at dates. So I have done the research on when these clans are getting their names and it's post-Norman arrival. Not, not post-Norman invasion. It didn't happen the same in Scotland as it happened in England, Wales, and Ireland. They were invited in. The Canmores, and maybe earlier, rolled out the red carpet for the Normans. But, uh, but for sure they were influential. So, so you have, so, so go back to the original point, so maybe that's why people think that the Normans brought in the clan system. I don't know. But the Normans tend, like, like Sinclair, like Bruce, Balliol, some of these ones I've mentioned before, um, yeah, that goes older, old, tend to be older surnames than the, than the Gallic ones. Okay, so surnames versus a person's name, or a surname versus a kindred name. Let me give you some examples. The McDonald's of Slate, sometimes referred to in Gallic as Clan Ushtin. That's a name for the kindred, but a member of Clan Ushtin, who is no kidding, 
a member, like blood related to the leading kindred of the clan. He might his the name that he goes by might be an actual patronymic. He's he's probably up until like so the the very highest level of society in Scotland, whether it's Norman or native or Viking or whoever they descended from, they adopted surnames earlier than the rank and file. The rank and file didn't adopt fixed surnames that was passed down from generation to generation until way later. So you got a, a guy who's a member of Clan Ushton, the McDonald's of Slate. And his and he's gonna go by something like um what was my, I actually wrote this down so that I would have an example of here. Okay, Donacha McGorry, because Gorry is the Gallic word, way of saying Godfrey. And so, and that was a thing with the McDonald's. More with Clan Ronald and their, their guys out in the in Uist, but uh, who cares? You get the idea. So you got a guy, but because so, Godfrey or Gorry was his dad. So his name is Donacha McGorry. But he's, but he's, he's, a McDonald. Okay, so don't so don't just don't just assume that the last name equals clan. Okay, it it can, but if you're trying to make a hard rule with it, you're wrong. It's going to lead you into a misunderstanding and misconception of how this actually worked. You could do that with that was just one example. You could do that with a bunch of different ones. Okay, now before before I wrap it up, that that surname versus kindred name is is a big deal and i think it's actually something that's really interesting and might be worth a whole other episode is kindred names of kindreds and and english ways of referring to them versus how they refer to like in that example you have mcdonald of slate it's his english title but amongst many of the gales that kindred was known as clan ushton or clan ian vor which the mcdonalds of dunyveg so um, the McKeans of Ardnamurchan. They were McDonald's. So that, that's just some examples of that. That You see the, it fluctuates. The, what, what, a, what a chief or any member of his clan might go by as a fixed surname might be different than what the kindred name is. Just keep that in your head, okay? That'll, that'll help you not get misled or go down wrong trails. All right, one other topic I want to hit before I'm wrapping this up. And by the way, when I started this, I was like, this is going to be like a six-minute episode. But the more my gears started turning on this in my head, the more I was like, no, 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 no. This could be like a book. But I'm not going to make it a book. I'm just going to I'm just going to share one more thing with you and then maybe some closing thoughts and then wrap it up. So the, I want to talk about the borders for a second. So the borders are a really interesting area. You can make an argument... <laughs> This is this is why like I won't be done with content for a long time. I, I see some YouTube stuff and when I'm trying to improve my podcast and I see them trying to like how to think of content and I'm like, oh my gosh, I need I just need time to cover everything. I'll never be out of content. So where I'm going with this is the kin-based society as it looks different in different parts of Scotland is fascinating to me. Because did it look the same in the highlands as it did in the borders? If you look at the government documents, one specifically that came from 1587 in the reign of James VI, later the first of England, it, it gives you a list of clans that were on their radar. And they use the terms clan and family interchangeably. So you can't just... You can't just, well, like draw, once again, you just can't draw hard lines. Like these guys were a family, these guys were a clan. 
and now let me just make this point that this document's only talking about the highlands and the borders. All right, so that your next question should be, well, what about all the other parts of Scotland that are neither highland nor border? Um, that's why this is interesting. But in the in the in the crown and the administration's viewpoint, they there is some level of equation between the border kindreds. We might even call them clans today, although they might not have used that word. But they sure, to the government, they sure looked a lot like Highlanders. The way they operated, the way they were organized, they looked a lot like the Highlanders. And, and but, but here's the deal, and here's why I think this is interesting in this context. Talking about where clan, the clan system comes from, not from Norman feudalism. Neither in the case of the Highlands nor in the borders, but the borders aren't the same as the Highlands. And here's my understanding of it, and if you see it differently than me, please reach out, comment in Podbean, in on the Facebook group, in the comments, because I'll have this episode posted on there. Do it there. But my understanding of this is that the border clans, the border reavers, the border kindred, surnames, whatever term you want to use for them, that kin-based society developed out of environmental expediency. Because neither crown, in, in the years after the wars of Scottish independence, and maybe starting from there, because it, it got a little wild down in that country, and from there on, every time an English army wants to assault through up into Scotland, they've got to go through this country. And every time a Scottish force wants to push down through into England, they've got to go through there. And it just became this wild no-man's land for any kind of law and order, other than what they could provide locally. Basically, it became a frontier, which leads me to another fascinating, or another subject that I'm fascinated by is frontiers, frontier society. And that's all I'm going to say about it. I'm not going to go down that as a tangent. I'm just going to say this, that the whole concept of front, frontier is wildly fascinating to me. But that's what this border country became is this frontier area. And so whatever, neither, neither crown, Scotland nor England, is enforcing much up there. And so you have this society, like if we want any kind of justice, if we want any kind of security, we've got to provide it on our own. And so they start banding together, guess how? Along kindred lines. And you had somebody that was the acknowledged leader of the kindred. And all this starts to look very Highlandish, but it doesn't come like in the Highlands and the Gallic Society, or maybe over in Galloway or Ayr, Ayrshire. It's not, it's not handed down from time immemorial as part of their culture. It's, it's just expedient. We're like, hey, look, this, this group came through here and took all of our cattle. And by the way, we're raising cattle instead of crops because it's not even worth planting because you're probably not going to get the harvest. It's going to get torn up or stolen or whatever. So we're going we're gonna to raise beef. And, but then somebody just came through and stole all of our, all of our cows. Well, how are we going to go get them back? Well, we need to force. Well, who's going to, can we call them the government? They're going to send down a force? Probably not. So let's take care of this. So who's, who's, the, who's the leader around here? Well, it's this guy over here. And he's got his, his kindred, his friends, his associates, and so, and just like in the Highlands, this group is not only composed, kindred forms the core of it, kind of the foundation of it, but by no means the exclusive group. There's people who are just, just happy to be there, happy to have friends, you know, and so they're like, yeah, I'll go with these guys, let's go get some cows back. 
and they'll go go get their cows back. You know, so this this environment, that's my understanding of how we get the akin-based society on the borders to this degree and where they really start looking like Highlanders. Difference, main difference being, and this is what I actually wrote my um, master's thesis on, was comparing the the uh, border reaver clans, if you want to call them that, with the Highland clans in the realm of warfare between roughly 1300 and 1600. And and the, the main the main tactical difference, or methodological difference, I don't know which, how you want to refer to it as, but the borders guys were cavalry, and the Highlanders were light infantry as a generality. That's how it went. And the borderers provided, uh, proved to be this elite light cavalry. And when they were used in the bigger armies of their respective countries, they were, they were hard to beat as light cavalry. So that's, I think that's really interesting. But anyway, so the different origin. Different origin than the Highlanders, but not necessarily, oh, here's Norman feudalism. Boom, we get a society. But definitely they cannot trace it back as far as the Gallic, the Gallic culture could trace back to kin-based kin society. If I understand all this, like my master's thesis wasn't on the social structure and origins of the border, the borders of England and Scotland, but I did have to get into it a little bit. And that's what I came away with it is like, that's, that's how that system developed there. What, where this leads it open to is, so what about these other parts of Scotland that they're neither Highland nor borders. Anyway, that's for some other conversation, but I just want to put a note in there about the borders. So if you've made it this far and you still like this, <laughs> that means you like this subject. And I have just been nerding out on this subject because I love it. I love it so interesting to me. And it just puts my wife right to sleep which is why I started this podcast. <laughs> so I could just kind of take, just relieve her of that. In fact, she's sleeping right now while I'm recording this after the whole rest of the family's asleep. But um, I'm glad that you're with me. I'm glad I found some other people who just like to geek out on this stuff, on the Scottish clans. If you think that this is interesting, will you share this podcast with somebody? Like who, who else do you know that, A, maybe they're just a history nut. And they just love, love history. Or maybe they're that, but they've also got a connection to Scotland. Maybe they're not got it. They're not a history nut, but they would like to know more about their heritage. How, however, you think, would you just like whatever your platform you're listening to this on? There's some way to share it with people. Will you do it? Would you just throw it out there and share it with somebody? We can. We we have been blessed so much by growing this community and having different voices come into this and share in the conversation. I have loved it. Um, if you have reached out to me, I, there's some people who I, I need. Somebody just reached out to me very recently. And, I, and anyway, I need to respond to some of these. So please don't give up if your message has been sitting in my inbox for a few days. Um, I will get to it. You'll notice that um, as of like, if you compare this to a year ago, my operational tempo for putting out episodes, scaled back a little bit. I've got four kids and a wife and some other commitments. And so this is, this is when I can get to it. So thanks for sticking with me. Thanks for sharing it with people that, that you think will like it. If you want to reach out to me, give me some feedback. Maybe, maybe you have some scholarly argument to make <laughs> about the origins of the clan system. You're like, ah, Clint, there's more that came out of feudalism than you're giving it credit for, then you know what? Cite your source. 
cite your source. But that's that's who I'm going off of, and I'm going back on, so I'll say these things again, like John Bannerman, Stephen Boardman, Allison Cathcart, Martin McGregor, R. Andrew McDonald, WDH Seller. Th- those, right off the top of my head, those are some, and if you want to go back farther than them into the time period, you know, be like more like, like Viking Age Scotland, you know, like maybe... Or, or earlier, like five, six, seven, eight hundreds in that area. Now we're getting into guys like Alex Wolf, David Brune. Um, I've also, to throw into the previous category of people, Jenny Warmald. She's given me a lot to think about when you consider were clans just a Highland thing or that was a kin-based society present throughout Scotland. She's got some some things to say on that. So anyway... I hope you've enjoyed it. And this lasted a lot longer than I thought it was going to be. But this is a cool subject, and there's some misconceptions out there, and I hope I've helped to clear them up. And so, and once again, go over and visit the, the website at scottishclans.podbean.com. And until next time, Marsh and Leven Drasta. <laughs>